in-depth discussing a variety of issues. What we see here is a clear violation of one, the right to privacy of Tiwonge and uh, Stephen. The position of Greenpeace is that it's been a disappointing meeting. Well, thank you for joining us. It's 11 o'clock. Once again, it's time for African Dialogue right here on Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Well, let me let you know what's happening on our program today. We're discussing the Rwanda president, Paul Kagame, having announced that he'll be running for the third term in 2017. What are the implications of that kind of announcement? We've seen that kind of trend on the continent. Very worrying indeed. But before we get into that topic, let's get our news from Onelenzinzi. And we take a look at your headlines. A suicide bomber has killed 10 people, wounding one at a mosque in northern Cameroon. The trial of Kenya's Deputy President William Ruto and journalist William Sang has to resume at the International Criminal Court in The Hague and the government of Lesotho reshuffles its principal secretaries. A suicide bomber has killed 10 people, wounding one in an attack on a mosque in northern Cameroon. The Islamist group, whose regions are in northeastern Nigeria, has stepped up attacks in neighboring Cameroon, Chad and Niger since last year, with many of the recent Cameroon attacks conducted by women. Cameroon is also in an 8,700-strong regional force led by Nigeria against the militants, expected to be operational by the end of the year. The United States is sending military supplies and troops to the Central African country to aid the fight. Meanwhile, humanitarian operations continue in the Lake Chad Basin region where the terrorist group Boko Haram has forced millions of people to flee their homes. According to the United Nations, the situation is the fastest growing displacement crisis on the continent. The UN has allocated more than $30 million to support partners working in Nigeria, Cameroon, Chad and Niger, spokesperson for Ocha Jens Laka. The humanitarian situation around Lake Chad is bad and it is getting worse. We are talking about what we consider the fastest growing displacement crisis uh, in Africa. It's triggered by the violence and the disturbances uh, created by the Boko Haram movement. What we have done now is that we have released 31 million uh, US dollars to the four countries in the region, so that is Nigeria, it's Cameroon, Chad and Niger, so that they can beef up their programs in support of the thousands of people who are affected by this violence. The trial of Kenya's Deputy President William Ruto and journalist William Sang is set to resume at the International Criminal Court in The Hague. Ruto's defense team is pushing for a ruling of no case to answer, saying the prosecution has not presented enough evidence to convict them of crimes against humanity. They are accused of orchestrating post-election violence in 2008, which saw 1,200 people killed. Charges both of them deny. 
The government of Lesotho has reshuffled its principal secretaries appointing economist and former South African politician Majaka Tata Mukwena to the Ministry of Trade and Industry. Mukwena was initially appointed to Justice and Correctional Services. New principal secretaries have also been appointed to Tourism, Agriculture and Labor, but Mukwena is seen as the most appropriate appointment. He joins Trade Minister Joshua Sediba, who was assisted, Assistant Director General of the World Trade Organization. Majaka Tata Mukwena is a well-known name in business and politics. He spent many years as economic media analyst in South Africa and later started a political party, the Economic Freedom Movement, which contested the 2004 elections in South Africa. Mukwena says he feels more suited to his current position and many expect him to give Lesotho leverage in bilateral relations with its only neighbor. And finally, face-to-face registrations have kicked off at the Wurz University in South Africa without any disruptions so far. On Monday, registrations were suspended due to student protests. They were demanding the scraping of registrations fees and for tertiary education to be made free. This is part of the hashtag Fees Must Fall campaign. Didabats Otetsi has more. Now, the disruption halted registration, um, that was face-to-face registrations at Wurz for Monday and Tuesday. Many students have registered online and telephonically and continue to do so. We are, however, hoping to begin with face-to-face registration this morning and up until Friday for first years. Returning students all register online unless they have any, any other issues. And recapping on your top stories, a suicide bomber kills 10 people, wounding one at a mosque in northern Cameroon. The trial of Kenya's Deputy President William Ruto and journalist William Sang set to resume at the International Criminal Court in The Hague. And the government of Lesotho reshuffles its principal secretaries. Channel Africa News. Get to know Channel Africa and all the people who bring news, views and great African entertainment. You can now catch Channel Africa on DSTV Audio Bouquet, Channel 902. Channel Africa. The voice of the African Renaissance. You are listening to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. With me, Benjamin Moshatama. Remember, if you're listening to us on DSTV, we're on Channel 902. That's Channel 902. Don't forget that you can also stream us live on www.channelafrica.co.za. Don't forget our frequency on 9625 kilohertz on the 31-meter band to Southern Africa. That's if you're listening to us on shortwave. Well, today we're discussing the issue of Rwanda President Paul Kagame having announced that he'll be running for the third term in 2017. New developments for the new year. Rwanda President Paul Kagame is accepted to run for the third term in 2017. In a recent televised address, 
He has been president since the year 2000, has effectively been in control since his forces marched into the Rwandan capital, Kigali, to the end, to end rather, the 1994 genocide. He has originally limited to two terms, but Rwanda has approved changes to the constitution that will effectively allow Kagame to stay in power until the 2034. That's uh, what they've been predicting. And he will run for another seven-year term in 2017, followed by uh, two-year terms. We're seeing this particular trend in Africa. We know that this has been an, a big issue in uh, Burundi as well. Now, to chat to this, uh, we are joined on the line uh, by uh, Josie uh, Mutandiri, who is an independent political analyst joining us from Human Rights Watch. We also have Dr. Cheka Chu, who's a research specialist at the Africa Institute of South Africa, a research program of the uh, Human Sciences Research Council. Let me start this conversation with you, Munjozi, um, in terms of uh, what does this particular uh, new development of Paul Kagame uh, going for a third term indicate where we are when it comes to Rwanda? Uh, thank you for having me. And um, I think that is really a sad uh, development uh, given uh, the challenges that Africa as a continent and uh, in particular the people of Rwanda have gone through, um, particularly the 1994 genocide. You would expect that uh, the focus would be to build a state, a development of state that is run by institutions and not by individuals. And uh, in my humble opinion, I think that it is regrettable that uh, many a time we have seen African presidents, African leaders, who believe that if they are not there, if they don't continue in power, their countries cannot continue. And uh, I think that it is a sad development which um, um, we must look at as Africans and... uh, engage and begin to find solutions to, to such. We have seen the third uh, term work uh, across the continent. Uh, in some cases, they have defeated. Uh, in this particular case, uh, it seems like uh, uh, President Kagame will have his way, uh, particularly writing on the, on the notion that I've won a referendum, which gives me the power to do so. Uh, but the argument should always be... Uh, Surely we cannot reduce our countries to be a popularity contest. If I'm popular, I continue to do as I want. I think he has had enough time since 2000 when he took over as a, a acting president to really put institutions and a national vision that continues regardless of who is in power. Um, so it's, in my opinion, it's regrettable. Uh, it should never be accepted. It should never be allowed. Well, let me take that uh, to uh, our other guest, Dr. Cheka Chu from uh, the Africa Institute of South Africa. Do you hold the same views as Munjozi, doctor? Uh, I, I, definitely. I think it is really regrettable that uh, in this time, 
an age in Africa, we should still be talking about uh, term limits. I know it is a, a trend now on the continent that, um, you know, uh, that once in power, always in power. But I also want to echo the view of my colleague that it is important that we start building institutions, institutions that can carry the state, move beyond personality issues, beyond the person itself. When we don't really do that, when we really don't build institutions that can sustain the state, we end up having, you know, um, a situation where once that particular person exits power, the state automatically collapses. So those are some of the issues which I think that we should really start looking at right now. Let's start consolidating this. We know the state is still very much, the post-colonial state on the continent is still a very young one so to speak. 30, uh, 60 years in, in, you know, there are some states in the West that have been for 500 years, but 60 years is still enough for uh, the, 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 the post-colonial state to put in place structures that will be able to sustain itself going forward beyond the, 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 the immediate post-colonial personality calls that we, we experienced in the 60s and 70s. I think it is really regrettable that we are still talking, you know, um, you know these issues of uh, extending constitutional uh, term limit 60 years after independence. It is really regrettable. Mm. Let's come back to the context of Rwanda itself. What does it mean, this particular decision to extend his term, Paul Kagame? Would it have any political implications, uh, Dr. Achu? Uh, not really, because uh, from the because uh, uh, President Kagame is riding on the wave of this popularity, you know, that he enjoyed in 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 in, in Rwanda. But again, one should also ask: Is this particular popularity is it forced on the people, or is it something that he genuinely, you know, you know, enjoyed? But again, above all. One will actually want to see that, you know, it is uh, this particular issue with regards to the the, the Rwandan uh, situation is above all, and for me, I think it's above all a way to consolidate the new uh, non-ethnic post-genocide uh, Rwanda that he is trying to inculcate. I think there is this idea in Rwanda that without Paul Kagame, you know, the security situation in that particular in in Rwanda. And in the in the Great Lakes as a whole will be threatened. And uh, the issue is, Kagame has actually proved himself to actually hold this particular region together. And there is an understanding that the moment he exits the political scene, things may actually degenerate into chaos. Hmm. Now, well, let me move on and uh, take a quick break, and then we'll come back to some of uh, those particular areas around uh, the style of uh, Paul Kagame in terms of his uh, presidency. Uh, if you're listening to us, uh, we're looking at uh, Rwanda President Paul Kagame accepting a run for the third term in 2017. What are the implications of that? What does it mean for governance on the continent? We're seeing that there is this particular trend. We know that there were issues with Peru and hey what do you think about it should we actually have term limits do you think that it's a it's a 
thing that uh, Africa should adopt? Or should, do you think that it's okay for a staff president to actually sit for a long, long time? What are your thoughts around that view? SMS us on plus two seven seven nine six nine five seven nine three zero. It's eleven fifteen Central African time. Let's take a quick break. We'll be back. would like to get to know you, our listener. So we are asking you to tell us the country you're in and how you listen to the station. Is it via shortwave, internet or satellite? And what do you enjoy listening to? You can SMS us at plus two seven eight two double three two five nine zero five, or email us. It's at info at channelafrica.org. You can also tell us via Facebook or tweet us on the handle at Channel Africa Numerical 1 or write to us at the address P.O. Box 91313 Auckland Park Johannesburg 2006 Republic of South Africa We look forward to hearing from you Channel Africa The Voice of the African Renaissance Yes, you are listening to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. And you're listening to us on the frequency 9625 kilohertz on the 31-meter band to Southern Africa. Remember that you can be part of our African Dialogue uh, family. So go to at African Dialogue on the Twitter. Hey, we're asking the question today, uh, do you think that we should have term limits when it comes to presidents on the continent? Is it a good idea or should we have our own way of uh, actually uh, of, of democracy? And, you know, if people decide then that should be the way to go what are your thoughts around that plus two seven seven nine six nine five seven nine three zero that's our sms number plus two seven seven nine six nine five seven nine three zero we started the conversation with uh Munjozi, uh mutandir who's an independent political analyst from human rights watch also we had dr check a uh, research specialist at the africa institute of south africa a research program of the human uh, sciences research council right now we also joined by Yolanda Bouka, who is a senior research associate at the Conflict uh, Prevention and Risk Analysis of the Institute for Security Studies. Yolanda, thank you for joining us as well. Thank you for having me. Now, let's look at this particular issue. We've already established disagreements from both Dr. Chekachu and Munjoji uh, Mutandiri about actually this particular call for the third term of presidency uh, of, of uh, Paul Kagame. In terms of looking at uh, Paul Kagame's reign, in terms of uh, its character and the way it looked uh, as we look back, what kind of president has uh, Paul Kagame been? What's interesting about President Kagame is the fact that while maintaining an authoritarian style of, of governance, he's also been able to woo um, the international community and donors in the very first years of his presidency. We're looking at a president who understands that donors want efficiency in the way money is used. He, they, uh, he understands um, that development, uh, to a certain extent, may trump uh, human rights records and political freedoms. So President Kagame has combined a very ruthless type of, of, of dictatorship by giving also a sense of the, to the international community that he's using donor money efficiently. What we've seen in recent years, however, is that um, 
this development in Kigali doesn't always translate to the rural areas. I've done some field work in, in rural areas, and people remain poor. Um, and there's been a controversy about how the Rwandan government measures uh, economic progress. So I think you, you need to take that in consideration. But at the end of the day, the way in which he maintains his reign to power is through a very violent and ruthless way. And that was very permissible in the early years following the genocide. People thought that Rwanda needed a very firm hand to hold it all together. But I'd have to disagree in, th- in saying that he has maintained stability in the region. He may have kept Rwanda stable, but there's ample evidence of President Kagame and the RPF as a government uh, being a part of the instability in countries like the DRC and more recently Burundi. I want to stay with you, Yolanda, with that particular aspect of things in terms of looking at uh, really that uh, that authoritarian style. I mean, there's been a lot of uh, issues of media censorship and uh, also the term, the idea of freedom of expression in uh, Rwanda. Let's let's just look at those particular issues and, and give examples there because I'm sure we can't be just making uh, blanket statements on, on, on that theme. Tell us a little bit about uh, your view of, of, of some of the things things that uh, uh, Paul Kagame embarked upon? Well, I think, you know, we, we want to talk about Paul Kagame. We also want to talk about the political elite who benefited from, from his leadership or his, his uh, presidency. Because I think it's, it's important to know that it's not just the man, but some of the people that are around him. Um, a perfect example is, is the way the press is censored. And the people in general, in the way they speak about ethnicity or about the history of 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 the, of the history of violence in Rwanda, is quite censored. Uh, there's a few laws on uh, on divisionism and laws on um, genocide denial, which is, in all reality simply means um, you have people in Rwanda and around the world who are denying the genocide, but you also have people who have a different interpretation of what the type of, of violence that took place in Rwanda. The first part is the recognition that before the genocide, we had a civil war uh, that, was, um, that was sparked by the invasion of Rwanda by the RPF. And people who live, for instance, in the northern part of the country um, find it very difficult to talk about the crimes that they, they experienced and they witnessed during the war, some of these crimes being perpetrated by the current government. Um, and when you try to embrace or try to discuss this part of the history, for instance, you could be arrested for genocide denial, or you could be arrested for trying to divide the population. So some of, these are some of the legislative ways in which speech is very tightly controlled. And there are different laws also with regards to the media, uh, the type of oversight that the government has on what can and cannot be said in print or in the radio. Hmm. Let me let me take that back to you, Munjoshi Mutandiri. Very complex figure that we see here, as was highlighted by Yolanda Buuka, the fact that uh, while he has this particular authoritarian style of governance, yeah, Paul Kagame has still been able to woo international community, even though President Kagame would probably point a system on having turned the country's fortunes around. We've seen him actually being a figure that uh, has been one who... It has been seen as being the rebirth and spearheading this strong leadership, resolute political will and unwavering sense of purpose, urgency and resilience. And it seems to point back to this one figure, uh, President Paul Kagame. How do we respond to these particular accolades? I think that uh, it seems to me that uh, President Kagame 
uh, has pursued uh, development with an honest single. In terms of the numbers, of course, that we hear from the IMF and the World Bank in terms of the development statistics for, 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 for Rwanda. Um, but also, like what Yolandi is saying, it, it seems like he is a very ruthless man uh, from uh, cracking down on opponents those who criticize him, I am particularly in the group by the issue of um, people who are charged with this uh, genocide or denial, but you are denying that there has been a genocide in Rwanda and stuff. I remember 2004, uh, they threatened as a government to ban the BBC after uh, that, uh, that documentary, which sort of highlighted that uh, the RPF uh, had actually committed more atrocities during the genocide than what is being um, acknowledged by the party. And uh, President Kagame was very angry at that. Uh, the ruthlessness and the shrewdness that he has, is, uh, I think it's legendary. Uh, you see the way he has been very close to the British and the Americans in the sense that because they acknowledge uh, in a way that he is one of the few presidents who have been able to use uh, aid and donor money effectively uh, in terms of um, you can go on and try and qualify what is development on the ground if we have the numbers that uh, we are developing the stated uh, 8% growth what does it mean to the ordinary men and ordinary women does it translate to that 8% so those are questions that can be asked but in terms of the numbers that the IMF the world bank has it would seem like he has been able to do that. Development, but he's also saying development, nothing else. If you have development, mm. you have everything. Mm. You cannot criticize me. You cannot speak against All you need is development. Mm. You we have had cases of um, allegations of uh, state-sponsored assassinations toward those that criticize the president. Uh, those are allegations, but they speak to a very ruthless man. And the point that I want to, to, to point out regarding this particular issue of uh, a third term, surely we elect our leaders so that they perform, so that they govern well. It cannot be right that when you perform, when you think that you are holding the state together, when you are performing, you think that you should be rewarded by getting an extension of your term in office. Why did we elect you in the first place? We elected you so that we perform. Mm. Perform within the time limits that you have given you, which were the two terms, and then you go. Mm. Well, let me come. Let, I want to be a devil's advocate in this regard. I think that, you know, the whole issue of how many terms is a Western concept indeed. Some people have argued the fact that, hey, why are we so, so interested in how many times a president can be, uh, you know, a president? If the people say so, then definitely, then the voice of the people must have that authority and must assert itself in terms of governance. Let me take that back to you, Dr. Chekachu. Is it a big deal for a president to go beyond three terms or three terms should we make it a dramatic theme are we actually now siding with western uh, political theories I, I think that debate has been over exaggerated and one thing which we should actually take uh, into consideration is that the state in Africa is actually a western concept <laughs> it's not it is not something that was uh, conceived by 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 you know the present 
post-colonial state. It's it's a continuation of the colonial state in Africa. So, you know, Africans are mainly, you know, copying what, you know, the, the colonial masters uh, actually banqueted to them. But again, one, one, there's, there's generally this debate, in, especially in, in, in Uganda, where we start talking about what kind of state do we really want on the African continent? And, and I think this debate, again, was also very much, has also very much been, been exhausted, especially in the 1960s, where we talk of African conscientialism, talk of the Ujama, we talk of the visualization, you know, how do we actually conceive the state on the continent? I think up to now, we have not really come up with a good formula. In South Africa, we talk of the, the, the developmental state. What is the developmental state? Does the developmental state also take into consideration the issue of term limit? I want to say yes, because these are issues that People need, political elites need to be given an opportunity. People, nobody is, no politician is indispensable when it comes to the development or it comes to leading the people on the continent. People need to be given that particular, an opportunity to lead people. You might actually find some of the greatest leaders, you know, from some of the most obscure kind of places. So why can't we give an opportunity to other people to actually lead? You know, the fact is, President Kagame has actually said that he's, he's got his political inspiration from Singapore, but one will understand that the founding father of Singapore actually, after some time, you know, actually handed over power to, 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 to somebody else. And, and if one look critically, you know, from the situation in Rwanda, one will realize that President Paul Kagame has actually been ruling Rwanda since 1994. You will understand that, you know, he at one moment he was actually vetoing almost all the political decisions that were taken by President Pastor Bizumungo. And that is the more reason why President Bizumungo resigned in the early 2000s. So what I'm trying to say is this, con- this debate is still an ongoing one. What kind of state do we want on the continent? And even the African Union has actually not come up with an appropriate you know, uh, concept in which we should actually follow. And I think it's something that we should really talk. And it's not just talking at the, at the top level. I think the debate should actually go down. The conversation should be amongst African people. What kind of system, what kind of political system do you need? And that particular debate and that particular discussion cannot be happening at the, in Addis Ababa or in big boardrooms across the African mm-hmm. capitals. It mm-hmm. should be right down on the, at the grassroots. Civil society should get involved and we should be able to come up with the kind of state that we want on the continent. Well, I'm going to take that to Yolanda Bouka when we come back after this break to hear uh, her thoughts about uh, the issue of uh, term limits and some of the views that came from Dr. Chek Achu. Hey, we're looking at Rwanda President Paul Kagame, who in a recent televised address highlighted that he will accept to run for a third term in 2016. Hey, do you think that this is a good decision? Do term limits matter when it comes to African governance? Should we even care how long a president uh, stays in 
power. What are your thoughts around that? Give us your thoughts. SMS us on plus two seven seven nine six nine five seven nine three zero plus two seven seven nine six nine five seven nine three zero. Or you can actually give us your thoughts on our Channel Africa handle at Channel Africa One at Channel Africa One. You can give us your thoughts around that. It's eleven thirty. Let's go for a quick break. That's Central African time. This is Channel Africa, South Africa's official international public radio station on shortwave, internet and satellite. My name is Sipa Hot Sticks Mabuse, a South African musician and an African artist for that matter. You are listening to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Pambi. My name is Yvonne Chaka Chaka from South Africa, but Africa is my home. You're listening to Channel Africa. The voice of the African Renaissance. My name is Habida, an African artist from Kenya, and you're listening to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. I love Yes, this is Channel Africa, your gateway to Africa and the voice of the African Renaissance. Hey, we love uh, having this uh, particular program, African Dialogue, where we try to get context of uh, some of these particular issues. And today we're speaking to some of the best experts when it comes to this particular uh, topic. We try to bring the best experts who are really focused in terms of uh, contextualizing some matters and issues. And today we're speaking about Rwanda's President Paul Kagame, a man of many contradictions when I see him he seems very very soft-spoken a bit lanky kind of portraying this modern day politician is on social media but hey he's also got another side of him he's a man who's received a strong military training we know that he's received his training in uganda tanzania and the u.s and he's not really like a, a nelson mandela figure he's one of a man that has a strong and soft sides to him many contradictions to him and today we're exploring the theme of the announcement that where he highlighted that he will be running for a third term in uh, 2017. Uh, Let me come back to Yolanda Bouka, the Senior Research Associate from the Institute for Security Studies. Let's look at the issue of the third term debate. I know that we've had this debate for a while on the continent, but it seems like it's one that continues to persist to be on our lips, and we don't stop talking about it. Is it a big deal? What are your thoughts to some of the sentiments made by Dr. Chekachu? I think that, you know, one of the things that we lose from this discussion is the reason why some of these states have had term limits to begin with. We're not talking about the entire continent. I think we also need to be careful. There are some countries like Senegal, like Ghana, like Tanzania, like Kenya, who are not perfect but have uh, had a history of transfer of power, sometimes with conflict or without. Um, And Nigeria is another example. But you also have to look at some countries like Rwanda, who put a term limit as a result of hard-fought negotiation during a civil war. There was a recognition that one of the reasons why governance was so bad, or one of the reasons why people were fighting for access to power, was because some individuals, particularly the heads of state in their inner circle, used all the tools at their disposal, the resources of the state, in order to stay in power and not to govern. So I think this idea that term limits is a Western concept 
should be also contextualized with each country specifically. Mm-hmm. And in the case of Rwanda, in the case of Burundi, for instance, these term limits were imposed not by foreign forces, but by, by the people who were negotiating, because there was a recognition that people staying in power too long was one of the reasons why you had conflict. Now, is our term limit necessary for African governance? I don't think so. The problem is we don't have democratic governance. There's once somebody comes into power in some countries, the state or the people who are close to the head of state will stifle dissent. They will shut down civil society organizations. They will monitor and censor the media, leaving no space for horizontal participations or vertical participation in politics. So if we had a country where people find the leader to be efficient, to allow widespread participation, to allow freedom of speech and, and political freedom, and people kept voting him in, it happens in other countries such as Canada, for instance, then it would be fine. The problem is that governance is not institutionalized. It's personalized. And until we figured out a way to change that, to remove the person from politics and allow institutions to flow on themselves and allowing popular participation, then we'll have a problem. And I think that's where the term limit is a quick fix. But ultimately, we have to move beyond that and institutionalize governance in a way that people are not excluded, that people's rights, whether in in the majority or in the minorities, are protected. Mm. Let me come back to that particular context, and you highlighted it briefly there, Yolanda, the historical uh, uh, aspects of things when it comes to Rwanda. I want to come back to the whole rebranding of Rwanda. It seems to have been the project that was under uh, Paul Kagame's helm, and, and many believe that he's justified to be seeking the third term, that maybe he had spent most of his time trying to reform this Rwanda, and that now in, in this particular term, he can actually now sit back, have a space to govern, and uh, get back things back in, into track. That's some of the views that I've heard indeed. Uh, Munjozi, coming back to you, uh, you know, isn't this maybe a good um, thing for consistency when it comes to f- when we look at the country like Rwanda, looking at its history, looking at the Hutu and Tutsi war? Or am I just not being really uh, practical in my thinking here? Um, I think that you are, uh, you can't say you're not being practical, you're just playing a devil's advocate. The reason why uh, term limits has become an acceptable norm, not only in the Western countries, in Africa, is precisely because we have uh, this personal cult. Uh, we end up having individuals who think that they are more important than the state. And, and, and I think that subconsciously, when people pass their own constitution and put term limits, it is to say that we don't want personality cow. We don't want individuals that grow beyond the state, that end up uh, doing whatever they want without, it's a form of instilling checks and balance that you can only do as far as you can do. Don't go beyond. And, and, and that, that's the problem that people are trying to address when they talk about term limits, which is why if you go through all the constitution-making processes that have happened in Africa, overwhelmingly, most of these people 
emphasize on I have been involved in the constitution making processes in Zambia, in Zimbabwe, in terms of observing the processes and listening to people. People feel overwhelming that there has to be some checks and balance. We cannot allow you to continue in perpetuity. You can't you can't just go on. It's not right. Now the problem with Rwanda is that President Kagame, uh, this is this this guy is not a guy who started uh, controlling Rwanda in 2000, as Yolanda is pointing out. This is a guy since 1994, immediately after the genocide. Uh, he has been the strong man of that country. And the question then that we have to ask is, if he continues to, to be the strong man of this country of Rwanda, are we not creating a situation like the one we are having in Burundi? Mm, Why mm, not mm. agree to what we are doing? Sure. These are the things mm. that arise as mm. we go on. Just do your part. You have been good enough mm. to celebrate you as a statement. Sure. Go on, leave someone else. Don't own the country. Don't believe that you are the only one who was given to rule. Each mm. generation has its own leadership. Mm. Now, I need to wrap it up, and I'm going to come back to you, Dr. Chekachu. We have a few minutes left. In terms of uh, looking at Rwanda and, and, and its history and uh, looking at some of the other issues that we're dealing with, we know that there were former government hand honchos who have been imprisoned, others who are living in uh, exile in South Africa, Britain, France, and the United States is hell-bent on having them repatriated to stand trial. It seems like a very complicated what's happening in, in Rwanda. In terms of the country moving forward, what would we like to see as the international community and also in terms of civil society? I, I think one thing that uh, has actually not happened is that uh, constructive uh, reconciliation has actually not happened in Rwanda. You know, um, uh, I was very, very um, traumatized when I visited the country two years ago. Uh, I, I had to travel to another province, and very early in the morning there was this people, thousands of people in pink shirts, you know, in the rural areas going around, doing construction work, and so, and I was, I, I, I did ask, and who are these people? These are the, 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 the genociders, people who have been accused of genocide, and most of these people have not gone through the normal court process to actually ascertain if they actually participated in the genocide. I think that is the first thing. Reconciliation has actually not happened in the country. Second, even within the Tutsi, the Tutsi ethnic group, there are still fractions. There are still people who don't actually even on the or don't even believe or even hold strongly that Kagame is the right person to take Burundi to the next level. We understand what actually happened in this country two years ago when, you know, the former intelligence chief was killed and uh, an army general was almost assassinated. And this has been happening in almost all the countries, most of the countries around the Great Lakes, where most of these dissidents of the present regime find themselves. So what I want to see is a kind a genuine reconciliation effort in the country. I was also very perplexed when I when I had an interview with the chairperson of the National Unity and Reconciliation Commission. Uh, Commission. He actually told me 
that uh, that for Rwanda to 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 be reconciled with the past, you know the the the, the, the Tutsi, the Hutus need to come up and actually, you know, apologize generally to the to the nation. But again, how can they hope to come up when the constitution does not even permit them to identify themselves as as Hutus? So those are some of the polemics which I think that you know the present administration needs to clear before one can actually start talking about reconciliation in the country. Recently, about three three, three years ago, an, an opposition uh, uh, politician was, was jailed for 15 years because uh, she actually wanted to contest for the presidential election. So those are some of the issues. The, the political space needs to be open. The political field needs to be leveled for people to actually compete. If that is not happening, then do we really want to talk about reconciliation? We are actually sowing seeds that will actually bring this country down in the next year, or in the next decade or so. You know, so generally, that is how I look see the situation going forward. That it is uh, President Kagame is mm, not helping mm, the situation mm. by 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 insisting on some of these stringent issues. Mm. He is actually sowing seed for future discord in this particular country. Mm. Well, a uh, very interesting discussion indeed. We'll take it back to our guests and, and uh, rather our listeners who are listening to us here on Channel Africa. I see here there's also discussions that are made around uh, whether should President Enes Koroma of Sierra Leone to be given extra time as well. So this is a big African conversation. But let's uh, thank our guests. Thank you to Yolanda Bouka, who is the Senior Research Associate of the Conflict Prevention and Risk Analysis Department of the Institute for Security studies. Thanks as well to Dr. Cheka Chu, the research specialist at the Africa Institute of South Africa. That's a research program of the Human Sciences uh, Research Council. Thank you again for joining us, Dr. Chu. Thank you as well to Munjozi Mutandiri, who is an independent political analyst from Human Rights Watch. Thank you all for giving us your time. Thank you. Thank you. Let me take that back to you. Hey, do you think that it's a big issue, this issue of term limits for presidents uh, we in a place or a phase rather where we still trying to see ourselves as a developing a developing uh, continent what are your thoughts is it the time to be thinking about how many term limits are restricted do you think it's good to have term limits so we can see proper progress in african countries what are your thoughts around that plus two seven seven nine six nine five seven nine three zero it's eleven forty five let's uh, quickly move on to get a quick break and then we've got we sign Matebula standing by. He's going to give us our economic update. This is Channel Africa, South Africa's only official international public radio station on shortwave, internet and satellite. From an African perspective, listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese, and Chinyanja. Informing the world about Africa. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Thanks, Benjamin. Good afternoon. The South African government says current AGOA benefits with the United States remain in place. U.S. President Barack Obama on Tuesday ordered that agricultural benefits be suspended. 
by March 15th if South Africa did not comply fully with various requirements. The order will be lifted as soon as the first shipment of American poultry enters the South African market. South Africa's Trade and Industry Ministry says it's working closely with the Department of Agriculture and the U.S. Embassy in Pretoria to facilitate the first shipment. Amina Akram reports. The Department of Trade and Industry says it is confident that the first shipment of U.S. poultry will arrive in the next few weeks and that the U.S. president will consequently revoke his proclamation. In a statement, the department says the only process required is to clear the goods on arrival into South Africa. No special forms or permits will be required until the 1st of April 2016. And South Africa's manufacturing output has declined by 1% year-on-year in November last year. The decline in factory production was largely due to a sharp fall in basic iron and steel production. In October, manufacturing output contracted by 2.1%. Jeffrey Schultz is an economist with BNP Paribas, South Africa. I think in general, as I say, I think the momentum growth in manufacturing production is really showing an industry which is under a significant amount of strain uh, given the persistent weakening in both the global and domestic demand environments, which I suppose is is largely China-induced, as well as commodity prices, which continue to head south. And the top price of Kenya's benchmark grade AA coffee has declined at an auction compared with the previous sale. The East African country produces quality coffee that is highly sought after by roasters worldwide for blending with beans from other countries. And the Tala Oil says it has enough cash to weather low oil prices this year as it enters 2016 with 1.9 billion US dollars in cash flow and loans from banks. The Africa-focused oil company booked impairments and exploration write-offs, totaling $1.15 billion last year, but said it expected full-year gross profit of $600 million on revenue of $1.6 billion. The company, like its peers, is struggling with a collapse in oil prices to 12-year lows. That's how it's looking this moment. I'll be back in an hour's time with another update. Now Musibudi Makura joins us to give us our sports news. Thank you, Benjamin. Good day, sports fans. And starting off with cricket news, world number one Serena Williams insists she's fit and ready for a tilt at the seventh Australian Open title, downplaying any injury that forced her out of the Homman Cup. The world number one retired due to soreness in her left knee during a singles match on the 6th of January at a mixed team tournament in Perth, casting doubt over her ability to defend her title at the opening Grand Slam of the season. Williams, who battled problems in the latter half of 2015 and has barely played since October, trained at Melbourne Park on Monday. Meanwhile, South Africa's and the world number seven wheelchair tennis player Hotato Manjani is through to the quarterfinals of the Apia International Sydney Open. This after defeating Britain's Louise Hunt 6-2, 6-2 in the women's singles second round on Wednesday. Wheelchair tennis South Africa's general manager Karen Losh has more. 
first in court this morning was Khatata Monjane. Uh, she was she had a bye in the first round, and she was up against Louise Hunt of Great Britain in the second round, which she comfortably won 6-2, 6-2, which will set her up for a quarterfinal match against Sabine Ellerbrook of Great of, um, Germany. On to cricket news, South African Proteas will go into Thursday's third test against England as at the Wanderers, knowing that they have the upper hand over their opponents at the venue. The sides have met eight times in Johannesburg since 1956, while the Proteas having won three of those matches, while England having won two and there have been three draws. Proteas right-hand batsman Chris Morris says he is in high spirits ahead of the third test against England at the Wanderers. I've said it before, I think the Wanderers is a result wicket. You know, it's always been like that. You know, my, my years I've played, uh, you know, there were, there were very few draws. And look, as a bowler, there's always something in it for you. There's never, you'll get to a stage where you think it's flat and all of a sudden a couple of wickets will fall in the session. You know, that's just the nature of the beast that the, that the Wanderers pitch is. So, you know, you've got to be patient and you've got to just stick to your guns. You know, it, it will have a little bit of extra carry and a little bit of extra bounce and, you know, just maybe some extra pace. So... It's exciting for a bowler to play, but uh, t- it could be daunting if, you, if you're not as patient as you should be. Meanwhile, Chris Morris says the team overall is looking forward to the third test. I think what maybe learnt in the, in the first between the first and the second was maybe our lengths were a little bit a little bit different in our lines. You know, I think we were a little bit short in the first innings, and I think we were slightly impatient. Where second innings, we just you know, stuck to our guns and just try to build a little bit of pressure. So I think that was the, that was the big thing for us. You know, just to just to change it up, just to create a little bit of pressure. And finally, former rally champion Carlos Sanz has been t- has taken the lead in the Dakar Rally after winning the ninth stage in Berlin. South Africa's Genel de Villiers finished fourth and moves up to fifth overall, and Leroy Poulter drops to seventh after an eleventh place in the stage. De Villiers says some of the sand dunes they're now traversing in Argentina have proved to be tough. We made a, a split-second uh, error of judgment. Uh, Thirty k's from the, the finish. We uh, we just took a wrong uh, turn. There were some tracks going down there, and we couldn't get down this sort of a cliff. And I reversed back up, and as I reversed, uh, I reversed onto a, a tuft of camel grass, and we were stuck there, all four wheels in the air. It took us about 18 minutes to get out, and um, you know, really, really unfortunate. Um, but anyway, we made a mistake. We paid for it dearly. Bazaar Sports News at the South. Stay tuned to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Well, that's how we wrap up today's program. Thank you for joining us. Remember, we've been asking the question today, do you think that uh, we should have uh, term limits on the content in terms of the style of governance? Give us your thoughts. You can actually give us your thoughts by SMSing us on plus two seven seven nine six nine five seven nine three zero. That's plus two seven seven nine six nine five seven nine three zero. We're going to wrap up with a song from South Africa. This is Zonke, one of our favorites, and this is her very, very vibrant 
and so I think it's one of the songs that she's been she's done long ago, even before her recent album. But it seems like it's a song that we can't get enough of. It's fantastic. This one is titled Feelings. And coming up tomorrow, we'll be looking at their Goa agreement with South Africa. It seems to be a big conversation between the United States and South Africa. So we'll be looking at that particular theme tomorrow. Join us same place, same time, right here on African Dialogue. Always about you and what you're gonna give to me today, cause you're not feeling.